0: This episode of the Online Marketing Best Practices Podcast is brought to you by Simply Learn. Improve your career with Simply Learn's online training courses, live virtual classrooms, and self-paced learning modules. Join more than 500,000 professionals and start accelerating your career today by visiting simplylearn.com.
1: write an ad or promotion that your landing page can't cache. you can see what the top ten pages are on your website but should they have been the top ten pages on your website Google's
0: solution to this problem of negative SEO and bad links coming into a site was the disavow tool
1: welcome to the OMCP online marketing
0: best practices podcast where top authors and industry leaders share authoritative best practices in online marketing. All right, welcome back to the OMCP studio and with us today is Marty Weintraub, entrepreneur, author, speaker and wilderness guide. We'll get more about that later. Marty is the founder of Aimclear, author of killer Facebook ads and the complete social media community manager's guide. He is in many ways the world's leading expert on Facebook and digital advertising. I'm your host Michael Stebbins and today we'll be discussing best practices for digital advertising. Marty, Welcome to the OMCP Best Practices Podcast. How are you?
1: I'm better than a barrel full of monkeys in a rainstorm.
0: Which I understand you've had up there in the Minnesota area. Listen, I'm really excited to jump into these best practices. Before we get started, I think there are a few people out there who haven't read your books, read your articles, or heard you speak. Tell our audience, who are you, and what is it that you've been doing lately? (sighs)
1: Lately? My name is Marty. I live in Minnesota. I founded a company called Aimclear, it's integrated marketing agency. Um, for perspective and not to be boastful, Aimclear won Best Large Integrated Agency at the US Search Awards.
0: Congratulations.
1: Thanks. Hey, uh, that even though it's a best, it's not my fave. My fave is winning Best Use of PR in a search campaign for our own PR against big brands and big agencies. The tactics there from we'll be discussing today.
0: All right, Marty, I gotta ask. I know there are several things about you that are just fascinating. I know that you are a wilderness guide. I know that you um, have musical skills and lately you've been into photography. I'm just gonna pick one of those. You have a piano on the main floor of your agency. Tell me about that.
1: Well, I'm a musician by trade. Um, I went to Berkeley College of Music in the 70s and then went on the road with a band and that's what took me to Minnesota. Landed in Minneapolis, in the purple rain generation in the early 80s and played in bands for years and years and um did jingles and the, my favorite story about that piano aside from all the amazing musicians the amazing like well-known musicians who have played it whose karma remain in the keys in all likelihood um, um that piano has been part of making records that have sold millions of millions of cds um it's just my old friend. I've had that piano with me for many
0: years. Generous of you to share it with uh, people at Aim Clear and your clients. So beyond music, Marty, I know that you have helped countless businesses set up strategy for digital advertising. I'm just going to name a few just for the credibility for our audience. I know you helped Uber, eBay, Airbnb, Dell, LinkedIn, Amazon, Quest, Intel, Travelocity, Macy's, GoDaddy 3M, and a ton of others. Earlier this week, you and I picked out four, Five, only five of your best practices for digital advertising that are, of course, uh, core to the OMCP competency standards. So for our audience, I'm just going to read them off and then I'll ask you about the first one. I love how you worded these two. Number one, embrace psychographic data. Number two, understand advanced psychographic targeting. Number three, nail influencer amplification. Number four, filter retargeting. Two hops, baby. Number five, test integrated search and social mashups. These are part of the standard, just with Marty's words around Marty, I was reading your blog at Aimclear, and we've read how psychographic data goes beyond what's used in Facebook advertising and can be applied to social content, even business plans. What are some of the steps to start embracing psychographic data? That's an awesome question. First,
1: let's take notes, students, that the bullet points that describe what we're going to discuss today all begin with action words. So make sure when you're pitching your own content to people and someone asks what the benefits are, start with an action word. Um, so the first thing to think about psychographics is that the, the advances that have been made in the last two years. In the early days of psychographic targeting, aka social targeting, with Facebook being the first real channel to emerge that gave us that ability, it was pretty basic. You could target somebody who was interested in something or showed an affinity for something. Uh, The way Facebook knew that was some known attributes and some black box. Um, It's a lot more than who likes a page. It has to do with a much more set of comprehensive um, behavior and data. but basically, if you, if you said they like basket weaving and botany, that, reduced, that that increased the audience. If you said basket weaving or botany, or botany, the big letter being O-R, or the or operator, that made the audience bigger, bigger. If they're interested in scuba diving and philamine scuba diving, Scuba, scuba diving or filet mignon, then the audience just got bigger because now it's all the people that like scuba diving and all the people that like filet mignon. So, the greatest advance in the history of psychographic targeting is the AND operator. One more letter, A N D, AND, the word that changed all our lives. And we wished for it for years because you could do layers. You could say basket weaving and botany basket weaving and botany, and that didn't increase the audience anymore. It decreased it. So so that's the greatest development. And that gives us access to some really amazing targeting uh, layers, if you will. Like take this one, 7,200 people in the United States, um, their behaviors are that they take real estate investments. They're interested or somehow execute. We know they're gonna make various types of real estate investments and there's that big word and they have to have an income that's over $250,000 or have a net worth that's over a million and another layer, they they have to be interested in Florida or the Gold Coast or Boca Raton or Miami or etc. And they have to be interested or somehow show affinity for personal pension schemes or self-invested personal pension, which are things that you do before you retire in America, And then they're between ages and 40 40 and 61. And I'll provide you with this graphic, Michael. Um, So they're in the United States. They're 40 to 61. They're going to do real estate investments. They make over 250K a year or have a high net worth. And they're interested in Florida and Boca and stuff. And they're showing all kinds of affinity for retirement things. So if I'm going to sell somebody land in Florida that's a retirement mechanism, I mean, that's a serious target right there. So the ability to layer with the AND operator in between buckets, even though I'm discussing Facebook and Facebook partner data right now, this will um, apply to future iterations. You could basically divide every psychographic display targeting channel by saying, how can you layer them? Facebook is also unique because it has an exclude. Well, there's other platforms that have exclusions too now. Facebook has the exclusion one that all of you have access to today. So you, you can do negative psychographic targeting essentially, which means that, um, well, well, for instance, there's, there's 115 million people in English-speaking countries that are interested in free things, free things, like free baby stuff or free anything. I'm, uh, I, I don't really want to have people who are interested in free things if I'm selling something for money so I can exclude them. And by the way, if you sell freemium software, still exclude the people that actually want it for free because you don't want people who want it for free. You want to give free stuff to somebody for a, for a little bit of a trial who's going to buy it so you could put negative keywords negative social psychographic segments I called it keywords that's something important to keep in mind here for you search marketers Uh, no matter how sophisticated psychographic targeting gets we still require words to describe it so if you're a search marketer you knowing the words to exclude is very powerful So one thing you could do is you could go to your negative keyword list in AdWords or or Bing, and paste those words comma delimited into Facebook's exclude bucket, and see if any of them parse, and some of them will. So one strong takeaway so far um, is map your negative keywords from um, search pay-per-click, to or display pay-per-click where you have negatives and see if you could um, get a match in Facebook's exclude box. It's really powerful. The semantic work is done. And When people talk about integrated marketing, well, that's an integration between um, search marketing and psychographic, a.k.a. social PPC, a.k.a. social psychographic, a.k.a. DMP, or et cetera. Um, It's important to root your personas when you do social targeting. Like say I'm selling a restaurant that's pretty good. It's like in San Diego and it's four stars and $3 signs and it's not $4 $4 signs are five and it's not five stars. It's not a beard award-winning restaurant. It's just nice It's a place that you or I would just like gladly eat and that would be described as a, as a Non-quick-serve mid-range restaurant non non quick-serve mid-range restaurant There is an there's a partner category in Facebook Ads from data logics Which is owned by Oracle Oracle's been quietly buying up um, marketing data and platforms. Anyway, it's a DLX USA. It's a USA. The purchase behavior is that they're going to buy more mid range restaurants, non quick serve. They spend more there, and the partner data source for data logics is MasterCard. So there is credit card data that says these millions of people are going to go and spend money at a non quick serve, so it's not fast, mid-range restaurant. And we know this because that's where they spend their money. Okay, so layer number one, that's your route. That's the thing this target needs to be. And then you can clarify with active filters, like, Use your word, search marketers, eating at a good restaurant. If somebody has an interest in culinary tourism, that's super interesting because if you're interested in culinary tourism, it means you like to go places and eat food or dining out with or um, et cetera. You, there's, and in different types of targeting, look into Facebook. Where do you type it in and it fills it out shopping for shopping with understanding, learning, searching for finding, getting attending, going to um, etc um, so now our first layer was the persona route, and the lesson is to root your personas, then you clarify the next layer with active filters and then decide if you need any financial clarification, which is great and easy to do in America. I already have MasterCard data about spending as the root for this, so I kind of don't need to do any, but lots of other products. Um, It's great to know if if they have money or not, and you can target, you could create a filter layer that's made up of how people use their credit cards, or what types they have, or their income, or the value of their home, or their net worth. Um, and there's also really cool proxy ways. Like, you know, if somebody's interested in a Rolex GMT Master 2 or, or a Porsche 911 Turbo Yellow or Club Med. What does that mean? Also, if somebody's a brain surgeon or an attorney, what does that mean? So in, we market a lot in other countries like Australia where you can't get that data and we look for proxies like that. So, the first two lessons about first three lessons are number one, root your personas, number two, clarify it with activity, Num- number three, financial, add financial clarification if you need to, and then finally, if you don't have access to the, to the, the, the financial, um, there's sometimes personas that have more than one root. Like a behavior and a class, maybe the coolest um, root persona roots in Facebook are in behaviors because they tend to be more complex objects. Um, you all know what veterans of U.S. military um, are and and the the honored place that um, that the we believe they should have in our society. Um, and as society does its best to nurture veterans, we have veterans mortgages, VA loans. It, it, what that is is it's special programs for people who serve their country. Um, and there's lots of companies that market VA loans. And I'm just giving this as an example of a dual root persona. Because in Facebook, there's 5.9 million people approximately um, under industries, veterans, U.S., which is where you wouldn't expect to find something like this. And the description is people who were previously employed by the U.S. military. So, right, that's the first half of the persona route, the first half of the route. Um, but there's a second part of it, and this is 27.6 million people in America, another Data Logics partners segment. Um, and this says people who are receptive to online higher mortgage, Offers. Uh, that's amazing. Amazing. It's based on recent consumer purchases. So it's based on things that consumers buy right before they do that um, and created to identify consumers likely to respond to offers in this category. So the two routes that these personas, it's a dual route persona. Um, they're veterans, period. Right? It's a VA mortgage. Duh. And they're going to buy a mortgage or they're really receptive to the offers. like. Put them together, and that forms a class of people that you can operate on um, by geographic area or not. And then, once again, dial in your high intent, your active, your disciplined targeting, and ha- how they're they're interested in house remodeling or HGTV TV Dream Home or Extreme Makeover or HGTV Home Renovation, etc. So. The interesting part here is the concept of how much we have versus how much we filter, specificity versus scale. As a rule, in targeting platforms, most of the time, the more layers you dial in, the more the data costs. Oftentimes, that's because there's more mouths to feed. Facebook just comes right out and says, "Up could cost up to 15% more if we use partner data. It's a black box for how that works, but generally, the more data you use, the more it costs you for a click or for um, a CPM. So also, also, the more you filter, the more you run out of people. If I say, how many people are named Marty and are sitting in Duluth, Minnesota, talking to my friend Michael for uh, this program, um, It would I'm statistically insignificant. There's just one. No big deal. Might as well just drive there.
0: And probably expensive to get, to. <laughs>
1: Probably, yeah. Just drive there. But if I target everyone named Marty in the world or everyone in the world, well, it costs a lot less to target everyone in the world. And plus, Facebook can use its algorithm to serve the ads more to people that are likely to click on ads. It's an interesting question always of specificity, which is cost and smaller audiences versus scale. Also on the integration tip. If you run a lot more ads that cost a lot less to a lot more people, you create brand search. This has been shown over and over and over again. So in every audience, there's a critical place of inflection where if you throw enough resources at it and zoom out enough, you not only sell with a much lower conversion rate, but a much bigger audience, you also create brand search, which any search marketer would say, I wish I had piles of brand search. So there's an integration question when you think about whether you're going to zoom out, um, have it cost less, and speak to more generalized people. As a rule, we like to zoom out a little and try to find that sweet spot.
0: And I know you cover that in your book, Marty. You talk quite a bit about dialing, how much brand we're going to go ahead and put out there. And there's a great chapter in Killer Facebook Ads that that covers that. You know, Also, Marty, in your book, I remember that you targeted... Uh, You grouped targeting, well, actually, the targeting universe, if I remember how you said it, into literal, competitive, and inferred. Now, that was when you wrote the book. Is there a more developed way... To understand advanced psychographic targeting,
1: um, it's interesting that you raised killer Facebook ads. Um, when I wrote killer Facebook ads, I knew it was a time capsule because it was the first book about that that was yep. written.
0: Mm-hmm. but there's still good stuff in there.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, thank you. I wrote it so half of it would never be obsolete because it was the theory of how to do it. Like when mm-hmm. I was in college, they used me how to. They taught me how to use synthesizers at like keyboards that nobody ever even knows what they are now. Mm-hmm what was important was they taught me how to learn,
0: not what, like, so. The beauty, the beauty of a liberal arts degree, by the way. <laughs>
1: yes, 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 yeah, yes. Um, so with with killer Facebook ads, chapter seven about creative is immortal. Um, the optimization one, though, though how to run it in Facebook is different. The theories are right. And the targeting stuff is remains foundational. So, so to answer your question, Um, We don't have to infer as much as we did before because there's explicit object style. Um, We... I just did a, a site clinic in, in Adelaide, Australia with a dozen marketers where we took on their targeting channels. And Australia is a challenge because nobody lives there and there's no data. There's <laughs> 21 million people in the whole country, which is like any large city in the world. And they're really sped out, which makes it really, really kind of uh, messy to deal with. And there's no way to target people on like how much money they make. So you have to go buckets of extreme luxury brands and infer or create a proxy for it Um, don't need to do that as much as we did before but the sensibilities and being able to do it matters what's most important now as you wire together buckets with the and operator in between is to make sure that the function of each bucket is pure if, um, if one bucket is they show affinity for subscribing to any magazine, the second bucket is they work in the trucking industry and it has to be trade shows and uh, and, and wholesalers and certifications. It has to be strong trucking business now signals. And then the third one is, um, is about decision maker. They have to have a job that has procurement or supply chain or buyer or purchasing, or or things like that. And so the most important thing, like, to keep yourself good, no matter where you are, is make the function of each bucket pure. So you're working with known theories. And then to zoom out, all you need to do is remove a bucket. See, like, so you're working with – that's the greatest trick is um, – and so the proxy part, when you get into low data situations, like, there's – when sometimes you just have to assemble stuff, like there's no
0: likely to. Right, but you can make inferences with the data that you've got, right? Like like if they're, you know, I don't know what truckers buy, but I mean, if they're buying, you know, truckers boots or flannel shirts or whatever the stereotype is, now we can sit there and if we can envision our target through persona or whatever method you're using for that, we can say, okay, it's likely that if they're into these magazines, that they're likely, you know, in the target category that I want. Right, right, right. So
1: the inferences, um, it used to be that the, inference, the inferences, the proxies we needed to create to get to a targeting place. Like here's another one. They're, um, we want to sell them a minivan, so we target pregnant people. Or we want to target um, people for delivery pizza, um, so we, we target them in between um, the f- matches for the soccer tournament when data says they buy more um, pizza and like inferences can come from internal or external data. But the point is, is that being a great psychographic marketer is about going. Oh, this means this reasonably means this. They, they're interested in Danny Sullivan's Search Marketing Expo, PubCon, Affiliate Summit, um, and Kenshu or Marin or DoubleClick or et cetera, et cetera. Like, what do I know about them?
0: Nelson Marty, I want to continue on to uh, Influencer Amplification, but I also want to make sure, is there anything else that you want to add that will help people understand advanced psychographic targeting?
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, so what, what we just discussed is the, it's, it's the, Standard part. It's the best practices part. Mm-hmm. I always think that best practices are making sure we understand emergent best practices and take them for a spin. So, in in the advanced psychographic tips, there have been a few developments that are pretty cool: look-alike modeling, engagement retargeting, and filtered filtered retargeting. They're both. They're all really interesting, they're all really integrated. Lookalike modeling is where Facebook looks across known data for a custom audience that you create. A custom audience is a cookie pool, uh, an increasing body of cookie that is created either from people that go to a certain page, certain cluster of pages, or any part of your website, and then they can be retargeted by way of a custom audience in Facebook. Custom audiences can also come from email addresses, email addresses. Um,
0: sure, we do that in Twitter, actually. Twitter will have us upload email addresses and make that targeting. We can exclude, and then we can say, we can say people who look like my followers. And it actually seems to be pretty good so definitely. far, at least for us. It's exactly, it's exactly
1: that. What's really interesting is if you run lookalike modeling on your thank you page, or any other sales symbol or if you take the email list of people that have already converted and then find other ones that look like them and market to those people in Facebook or Twitter. So what's really cool about lookalike modeling is that you can um, filter that too. You You could make a whole bunch of people that are like the original people, and then you can apply another targeting filter, like only target the ones who make 50K, or buy outdoor sporting equipment like binoculars. Yep. So, so the, the tactic is to go to your success page, your thank you page, or take a customer list as emails, make a custom audience, and you don't care about those people because they're already your customers, unless you're working on retention in this channel. Of course you care about them, but you know what I mean. Um, I um, mean, th- but then look-alike it, but then you can go, that's just great. Now make sure that they're this. And you can filter. So, filtered lookalike is really cool, like really cool. Um, one other piece um, engagement retargeting. When we think about custom audiences, we think about creating them from people that come to your website or people that come from an email list, right? A custom audience or a lookalike. Um, they're from. You can also build custom audiences with people who engage with your social profile. And that works in Facebook and YouTube. Facebook and YouTube. Um, so that means that you could put a video in Facebook, have Facebook host the video, um, not give users any way to leave Facebook to your website. So it's gonna cost you a small amount of money because Facebook's cheaper if you stay in Facebook as a as a general rule. Um, And then you could build a retargeting list from people who watch the video a certain length of time. And there's other parameters to define engagement, including interacting with a lead form, etc., watching videos of different lengths. So if you're a marketer where you know it's going to take more than one touch, it sometimes makes sense to make that touch in social for really cheap. And you can afford to be magnanimous and not make a hard sell or be very called to action about it because you know it's going to take more than one touch. Um, and then build that list and then the next time you see them, hit them with a unit, like um, like a page post or something unit where it's likely to send them to your landing page or your content. That, that's really interesting because it's retargeting, but I go, well, that's that psychographic like audiences because we're, remember the, top of funnel targeting in that scenario is complex like we've been describing then you capture that as a data preset if you will in a cookie pool with engagement retargeting and keep track of what that audience is and then essentially you've bought the data the combined data of the first touch and you're curating it in facebook um so you're buying the data you're keeping the list in facebook and then when you send them to your website you get keep the data again either with another facebook pixel
0: or in your own cookie pool
1: right or in google basically sometimes you go we're going to do the first touch as a video and it's going to cost 12 cents and then i build out 20,000 people that do that then i run a direct response ad to those people that or or a site driving ad that sends external and i send them to my website and i build a remarketing cookie pool and then i run a search campaign to those people like It's all weird and blurred in a beautiful way, like which part is psychographics and which part is search and we're using words to describe the psychographics and we're running search campaigns to social audiences and that's what integration is.
0: Yeah, and it's a beautiful thing. It really is, Marty. And so I think what we want to do is make sure that people spend, all of us as advertisers, spend a long time inside of your audience selection Thinking about pondering, making connections, and, you know, deciding how you can use those Booleans and your exclusions and your layerings to really target the right audience. I love the idea of having, you know, early funnel and using Facebook's retargeting at first, and then jumping in to pull them into our site and putting them in our own pool. Very, very powerful combinations. Anything we want to cover on advanced psychographic targeting before we move on to influencer amplification? I
1: think we've been pretty advanced here. <laughs> oh, here um,
0: it's okay. You've been generous of, too. Thank fun, you.
1: Fun little fun little tip would be that Twitter lets you target people who are individual people. As long as it's a thousand at a time, you could you can import a thousand packs into Twitter and um, target those people, not people that look like those people, which is really interesting, especially from a PR perspective, because if there's one person I need to see my thing, I'll find 999 where I wouldn't mind if they saw it to target the one person, and it doesn't cost much to do it. Like, really, we've gotten down to individual targeting, as long as we're willing to face some impressions as expendable.
0: Which doesn't hurt because you might pick up somebody in the same time and that's very clever. We used to do that uh, for schools that we wanted to cover the market motive uh, curriculum that we were doing years ago and we would pick, uh, you know, anybody who worked at that school and we would just put up the impressions for them saying, hey, by the way, you really should have this in your curriculum and it worked phenomenally well. (laughs) That's really, it's really neat. That's a, hey, the early days of
1: psychographic targeting were just like amazing. In 2008, we were targeting apprentice electricians of a certain age to sign their old school boss up for Merchant Circle.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Oh my God, wow. All right, Marty. So you have this phrase influencer amplification. We know it works. Tell us how to nail influencer amplification.
1: Yes, yeah, social psychographic editorial calendar-based influencer distribution. Um, influencer influencer marketing is maligned a term as anything. It's like rehab. There's every kind of rehab. There's ovarian rehab. There's digital rehab. There's drug rehab, etc. Recovering from something. and influencer big data. What does that mean? It means whatever the whatever we say it means. Basically, big data. And influencer marketing is like that. However, if you can kind of generalize it, you go people who lead thinking, thought leaders, high authority users in any channel where if they say something, it means a lot and a lot of people will interact. And vertical media roles, like they're a morning show host who are interested in um, 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 Marin, whatever, or, or, sports, or, or, or assignment editors, or um, it's really interesting. Um, there's about 300 roles. I'll get into into that with you in a little bit. But also, it's important to expand your mind as to what an uh, influencer means. How about the the union? Labor boss. If you're selling a billion-dollar water treatment plant to a whole community, you're targeting labor who wants the jobs. You're targeting professors who might have a who might have an interest. Targeting treat people who are green and sustainable, who definitely care about installing a water treatment plant. Um, the mayor's office, the city planner, like community leaders, and you can affect all those things. Thought leaders, high authority social users, vertical media roles, and community leaders. So that's the what it is. Why it is, is classic reasons, links, citations, chatter about your brand, all things people need for various reasons from SEO algorithms to PR. News, mentions in the news or interviews or placing articles or customer support or to, to prove out support, proof of performance, um, branding, retention, investor, people like do financial reports or other in, um, money stakeholders, community relations, how we do with where we live in a, in the um in the physical and the uh, meta, meta metaphysical kind of way of the world. I'm um, relating to your own employees, internal relation, media relations, crisis management, media crisis, internal community, investor, um, customer relations. This is all PR. Um, basically google 's algorithm with its continued um, respect for links respects PR the difference with, to my mind between SEo non technical SEo non technical SEo PR um, um, influencer marketing um, street cred um, um, successful reviews um, PR like all that stuff it's all kind of the same really and one of, there's different ways you can get at that and different ways you can get that message to those people to do the good that they could do. Um, and when you see different people speak about influencer marketing, they each have their place and the way that they do it. Like one person distributes to celebrities. One gets writers and sells out space and placed articles in Forbes that have do follow. Links <laughs> um, and other such uh, other things like that,
0: and implied relevance too. I mean, you know, if I'm getting covered in a union newsletter and the context is strong and it reaches a bunch of other folks, that's a signal because it's implied right. relevance and, and almost implied endorsement, which I think the right. algorithms do pick up.
1: Right. So there's a few ways to divide up the influencer pool. Things like this feature writer, writer, podcaster, writer and blogger, film director, television producer, um, content producer, web manager, announcer, television presenter, color commentary, online editor, v-blogger, university correspondent. There's about 300 of them, correspondents and morning show hosts and editors and directors and et cetera. There's about 500,000 of those in America and major European Union nations um, you can divide them up in interesting ways, like there's, uh, um, oh, so that's the first part. Those are the vertical media roles. I'll give you an example of applying one in a minute. There's other ways to slice it. There's 5.9 million people in Europe who are interested in Yoast and movable type and WordPress themes and studio press and et cetera. Um, that's not an absolute signal but 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 that's a pretty strong signal that they have at least a passing interest in blogging There's 60,000 people who work for the top 50 world newspapers sorted by money, international newspapers sorted by money. And that's interesting because if you take 60,000 people and you take only the ones who are interested in a very, very specific thing, it's true, it might be somebody who works in the food service at that newspaper who's interested in Berlin Fashion Week or whatever. Um, that's fine. That's expendable. Like the person I need to see it, will see it. And if the food person is interested in Berlin fashion week, do you think he talks to the lady who's the actual writer for it? So, so that's, you could also come at it by employers to U S business magazines, like 3,100 people who worked for, um, one of a bucket of a, Oh, and by the way, if you're building out this targeting, go to Wikipedia and search for a list of business magazines list of US business magazines. You can discover these things and, um, and build them yourselves. Or if they work, 45,000 people worked for top 25 newspapers in America by distribution. Um, now, what's really fascinating is there's 51 million people in America who are interested in funny viral things like College Humor or BuzzFeed or funny junk, or the oatmeal, or meme base, or the daily dot, or hyperbole and a half. And some of these influencer segments are so big that you can target only the ones who also, the and operator, like to hang out in extremely viral places, which has been shown to increase rebroadcast of your stuff. If you take the 500,000 bucket in America and mash it up with the funny bucket for America, you get 160,000 people, and that's plenty to keep operating on. Super duper, duper interesting. Here's an example of how you use it. Say you've been retained by um, a political lobbying company that's working against or for a bathroom bill. Like, and you want to influence people who write about LGBT issues Mm -hmm. in America and major EU nations. Um, This bucket, this is America and major EU nations that speak English. So you take the 500,000 influencer bucket of all those job titles and the funny bucket. So they have to be an influencer and they have to be in the funny bucket. Mm -hmm. And they're interested in everything specifically LGBT, like, LGBT rights in the United States or rainbow flag, LGBT movement, etc. And that's 28,000 people. 28,000 people. And so if you put provocative content and distribute it to those 28,000 people and then you cookie them and retarget them with your next piece of informed hyperbole or effective communication, then you end up getting links like all over the place. Um, can I... Um, can I give you a few examples of what that might look like?
0: No, oh, please.
1: Okay, so say you're, you're, you've you got a snarky travel rudeness in like maybe for one of the aggregators, like Travelocity or Expedia. You know, I don't like when big people sit next to me and sweat on me. I don't like when small people sit next to me and walk over me. I don't like anything, basically. And you're just <laughs> at a bar chart and it's everything. Top annoyances. Commiserate. Oh, so, yeah. yes. So you take people who are in the five hundred thousand job title bucket, and they're frequent international travelers or upscale travelers or business travelers they're they're deep travelers maybe maybe determined by how much money they spend on it mm-hmm. and they're funny people crack.com or eBondsworld, world, and they make more than seventy five thousand dollars so so here's your snarky Business traveler, upscale critic, pros. Like, these are, these are, like, I'm not a travel writer, but don't mess with me. Like, I can influence in that space. Like, and these are, these are, these are people, they're critics, for God's sake.
0: They're articulate cynics.
1: Yeah, yeah, they are. Here's another one. Here's another one. So, AimClear did a whole series of promoted posts in search engine land and marketing land last year. Um, and they were all about targeting influencers or, or very specific uh, uh, targeting, like political Twitter targeting. So first, that all showed up in the organic search engine results because it's legal for that to happen as long as the links are no follow. So when you buy a promoted post in many publications, it just indexes. Then we amplified it to um, 10,000 people who worked at U.S. newspapers, but they had marketing interests like, like AdWords or digital marketing or public re- public relations. They had crossed, they worked for them, so they could have been like in the PR department or they could have been anywhere in those publications that are concerned with marketing, like the stuff that we do. And um, so we got a phone call from a wonderful writer named Jack Marshall, um, marketing and media reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Like he wasn't a contributing writer. Um, this, is, this is a columnist for the Wall Street Journal. And um, he said, I've I've been noticing your content about targeting uh, journalists uh, who work for major um, newspapers and stuff, and I've been seeing your content for years. And um, and I'd like to write an article about companies targeting journalists with ads on Facebook. Well, you're getting this right? This is a writer who's writing an article about targeting journalists with ads on Facebook.
0: You're targeting Inception,
1: right? Right? Who found found out about it or was reminded of what he knew about us from seeing us in the past uh, by promoted ads to him about targeting journalists with ads on Facebook, and then that resulted in um, um, a couple of paragraphs as quoting me and links to the. To our website that were do follow, so that like so, I just have to ask the question like, that's a big deal for SEO to be recognized in the New York Times, and it's a big thing for brand search and stuff. Like for it's it's massive. Like so, then were the Facebook ads that did the amplification of the content where I paid Facebook was that Google SEO?
0: No, it comes to, it comes down to influencer marketing. To be honest, I mean, you actually got things early in the funnel and multiplied it to get the attention of yeah, the people who mattered. mattered. It just goes to
1: show that um, these tactics don't live in an island, Like right? These tactics do not live in an island. Like, which part of that was PR? Which part of that was SEO? Which part of that was ads ads? And you could break them out by channel, but it's an integrated strategy. You know, if, if if we had been on it, we could have been calling writers as well, and we, or we could have been calling in personal relationships. But when you're always getting inbound PR like this, there's not any time. like. We've been cited in, in so many different publications with people that came to understanding of our company from magnanimous, no-sal, just giving. Like, your hand is extended. And we're not going to try our product. We're just saying how we feel. In the immortal words of the Monkees television show from the 60s, Hey, hey, we're the monkeys, and we got something to say.
0: Marty, I want to jump up to uh, retargeting and what that means. Any last wrap-ups on uh, amplification before we do that?
1: Um, I'd say no. No, I think that that's pretty well, pretty pretty well pretty
0: covered. Pretty generous, and we'll have all that in the show notes as well. <laughs> so, uh, okay, retargeting, obviously tons of value. I got to ask, what do you mean by two hops, baby?
1: All right. So most, most of the time when we go into really large systems, we look at how they're segmenting, their retargeting, and, um, and it's, not, it's not functional. Like it, they're, there's, they're leaving money on the table. You know how retargeting works? Um, oh, and we're going to take that around to the concept of team curated cookie pools. Team curated cookie pools. So you know normal retargeting? I like, I'm searching for a flight from Minneapolis to Heathrow from, and then I get pretty far into it. I decide not to buy it and I go into Facebook and I see British airways, great bears available. Well, first that's a really great example of dumbass retargeting. Cause why doesn't it say Marty, um, we have the best damn Heathrow flights from Minneapolis on earth and we'll give you a cross grade uh, to your Delta loyalty since you're a diamond. I mean, it couldn't know that, but it could know quite a bit about me. That like that's a big difference, and it's a big conversion difference too. Unlike Airbnb, where I'm searching for Hayward, Wisconsin, and I go to read the newspaper, the Star Tribune, and it says Hayward, Marty, you belong in Hayward. Look now for forty nine dollars a night. Like, I mean, one of them is segmented retargeting, and one of them is dumbass generalized retargeting. Mm-hmm. You first know segmented retargeting because if you search for a car battery on like the Sears website or something, everywhere you go for like the next four days it's going to have four boxes of Sears batteries chasing you around to hunt you down and eat you conversion <laughs> so um funnel retargeting that 's where they go all the way into the car and get to stage three of four and bail, so you could serve them an offer that says give them a reason, sweeten the offer, whatever it is, find the next thing to say to them, that kind of retargeting. Right. We, we look at, we think new best practices, well we know, I know this because I judge the European and UK search awards every year for, um, for having won a number in America and almost all winning case studies have some element of this in, in matching data. Basically, everything that you dive in from every channel has to be tagged up, and you need wherever you're building cookie pools, you need to segment it. That could be your like top keywords. It could be your. Um, it could. There's a whole bunch of different things it could be. So we literally have a thing in our contracts that say we're going to support the client as they build out their assets to maintain and curate segmented cookie pools at the audience. And or the creative treatment level, as we agree. Um, if it's just one channel, if you're just using AdWords and you want to separate retargeting by keywords, you don't. You could do it at the targeting level, but if you get cross-platform, there's no apples to oranges between Facebook targeting and Google targeting or LinkedIn targeting and YouTube targeting. So sometimes it makes sense to to segment cookie pools at the creative level. We're targeting the accountants who work at home. That's who we're targeting. Um, However, so just understand that it's not a straight up metaphor of we keep track of all the targeting. And we build out lists of audiences in Google remarketing, Facebook ads as custom audiences, And um, LinkedIn now has a native retargeting audience and some DMPs um, will do that for you. Wherever wherever you keep track of your audiences, all the world's a list. I I mean, I would like to just sell something now. We want to sell something now. Direct response, uh, an influencer that made that happen, a social pay-per-click top of funnel, search engine optimization. I, I want a cost per click or a cost... Or, or a cost per acquisition, or a cost per install, or a cost per download conversion, and I want it now on one touch, thank you. But if I can't sell something now, I should sell something later, and that's what this is. Retargeting, filtered retargeting, retargeting between search and social, where you plan on it being two hops, two hop thinking. And if I guess I can't sell something now and I can't sell something later, I better make some content. The joke (laughs) is that content marketing is for people that can't sell in two touches economically.
0: Or maybe my product and offer isn't what it should be. All right, Marty, how how do teams curate this?
1: Well, if you work for the social department and you're amplifying your content, then you're turning Facebook custom audiences over to your direct response Facebook marketers, and you're pinging the Google people to say, hey, I'm sending these tags in, build a remarketing list of all my malefactory oral surgeons, mm-hmm. right, to sell them dental adhesive or whatever. Um, so you you make it happen by, if you're the search people, because there's a main, let me let me tell you the kind, here's a test list, right? Here's, here's some example tests, some example tests. First, if you're doing search pay-per-click, separate out and retarget the big keywords. In almost every case study, there is one massive or a few massive keywords that, or modified broad match roots with negatives that are responsible for a lot of the conversion. The first question I personally ever ask in any marketing audit, the first one, sort the whole everything you're doing by where you're spending your money and show me what you're saying to who where you're spending your money. Like, that's the very first thing I want to know. So I take the place where I'm spending my money because it's effective, and I retarget those separately. Um, it's often effective to put the query that re- in the, from the query report in the creative of the retargeting. But anyway, so that's a really simple way to understand reseg- segmented retargeting. We're just giving the expensive shit of different treatment. It's just really simple. Like, if I have a false wood airplane or or a beautiful new Cessna. Like, which one do I care if I crush? I mean, take, like, treat your expensive inventory. Okay, now here's a more complex one. The keyword is Nikon binocular sale. And I'm gonna retarget that keyword, or that keyword cluster, or that ad group into social. Um, I'm not gonna retarget everyone, though. I'm going to filter it by adding Facebook ads filters. Um, I'm going to only retarget the ones who are interested in 300 geeky species of birds or Audubon society or birding. And I'm going to serve them creative that puts the bird huge in my binoculars and then say Nikon binoculars sale for birders or whatever it is we say that's, that's, I'm separating and retargeting my big keywords into social filtered with vertical creative. Uh, creative is the last mile of all psychographic targeting and filtered re- retargeting. Here's another cool example. I drive them in for the keyword Nikon binoculars, but I build an RF and I build an RSLA list in AdWords for that big keyword, and I retarget it to keyword searches for, for informational searches that are uncompetitive, like Grand Canyon hiking trail. And when I run the retargeting ad to that audience for people, RLSA is just search-filtered retargeting. Um, What I get is the big query is still attached to it. It's only the audience who searched for a sale, the one that costs, what, $8? I don't know how much it costs. But the retargeting keyword costs like $0.30 because nobody buys it or cares, but it's a unit. And then I could go to the ad, say an expanded text ad, and I can say something about the Grand Canyon and make it feel right. So filtered retargeting mashes together one channel and the same channel or cross from search to social. I mean, that's what integrated is. Like, that's what integrated is.
0: So I know, Marty, uh, you've covered some of the best practices for digital advertising success that are in the standard, and many of these are on the exam. Outside of that freeforming, any other tips or general guidelines that we should practice?
1: Um, uh, remain human as a marketer. Like a, a lot of it is about human motivation. You know, if you're say you're selling something that's a really fast-moving item, like a ticket to a concert. You know, um, you run a top-of-funnel ad. Um, you know, retargeting isn't going to really do a lot for us because tickets are gone, like in, what, seven minutes for the big concerts, whatever it is. So you know that you only get, like, that bite at the apple right there or a few minutes to work with them afterwards. That's as opposed to selling a mining truck or a Lamborghini or um, or a 3D modeling printer. The process for selling everything is different, as is the sales cycle and the latency of how many touches it takes until when, and ironically, as um, as the as the marketing universe matures, um, once again it's about what you say to who and human motivation, and I spend. A, I'm largely replaced at Aimclear. We have a CMO who's incredibly accomplished and um, owns all the awards that we've been getting recently. Like, I really, I serve as a as a mentor to some of the people that work here and the whole company for marketing. And what I consistently find myself saying is, um, um, are we sure that like us saying that to this person is actually like, it's important to always get back to the metaphor of if I ran into this person in the place where blah, 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 or, and then if I saw him a second time and they didn't do it, what would I say? And more and more, I personally am talking less and less about um, the technical specifics and more and more about um, the human things and and creative um, Ultimately, creative is always the last measure of targeting and retargeting, like what you say to who. And so make sure that you don't sell that process short. Knowing how to do it qualifies you. Knowing how to do it is like getting a record deal. That just means you get to compete with, with um, Lady Gaga or whoever. Like getting a re- being able, Really mastering this stuff is getting a record deal. Then you have to go there and be the best in the world at what you say to the other person to get
0: them to take your action. Yeah, you've got the camera. Now what are you going to say to it? Right. All right. Well, listen, that is all the time we have today. A big thank you to Marty Weintraub. Check out Marty's book, Killer Facebook Ads, on Amazon. Follow him on Twitter at Marty Weintraub. Catch his blog posts at aimclearblog.com. And of course, reach out to Marty's team at his award-winning agency, Aimclear, to see if you can boost your advertising results with their team. Marty, any other places people can uh, track your uh, speaking or what you're up to? Yeah, you can email
1: me, marty at aimclear.com. I won't market to you. Also, we have a super secret psychographic social targeting week- weekly tip sheet that you'd be astonished. Who, uh, who. It's amazing. We we don't use it to market. We just send out a thing I guess it is marketing, because about 30% of our clients ultimately somehow touch that list, but um, it, let's put it this way, the team here is really smart, and it's where I go to see the most important stuff that happens, and it's bite-sized, so you could email me, marty at for the super-secret psychographic social distribution weekly tip sheet have um, five different European appearances and workshops and speaking and then more all across America. We're doing a full day workshop on Psychographics at PubCon this year. Um, um, Just reach out. Reach out if you given my email address to over 45,000 people in the last three-and-a-half years and
0: it's really beautiful. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the generosity. Uh, And again, thank you very much, Marty. Now, I'm your host, Michael Stebbins, and you've been listening to the OMCP Online Marketing Best Practices Podcast. OMCP maintains the certification standards for online marketing industry in cooperation with industry leaders just like Marty. Join us inside of OMCP to maintain your certification get special offers, and join other certified professionals or universities and training programs that value the OMCP standards. So we'll see you inside of OMCP as a certified professional where we'll be improving our professional careers and teams together.